Hi there. Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick Wainwright, and thank you for joining me today. Today in this episode, we have been uh, speaking in the past about the priesthood, so I thought I would invite a guest. So today we have Father Samuel Hakim from the Dominicans uh, visiting us here, and we're on site uh, recording on the road at Hillsdale College, and actually it's a kitchen. Uh, it's a kitchen studio. We set it up as a kitchen. So thank you, Father Samuel, for being with us. Thank you, Father Patrick, for having me. I'm excited to be here at Hillsdale and on the podcast as well. Absolutely. How have you been these days? Any interesting anecdote that has been yeah, happening? Yeah, been good. It's, uh, it's been a three-time zone week for me. Uh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, this past week preaching for the Eucharistic Revival. Wow. And I was home in Chicago for the weekend hosting two of our applicants who are applying to the Dominicans right now. And then now I'm here in the Eastern Time Zone in Michigan. Wonderful. Well, here's a quick intro about Father Samuel. He was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He earned a bachelor's degree in space physics and Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona. He, stu- he started discerning the priesthood and religious life during his senior year in college. During his graduate studies in optical science and engineering, he met the Dominicans, and he felt a desire to discern more deeply. He entered the novitiate in 2010 and was ordained to the priesthood in 2017. He is now the vocations director of the central province of the Dominicans. So again, thank you, Father Samuel, for being with us. Um, So I thought it would be nice, as we've been talking about the priesthood, to have you uh, talk a little bit about your experience and your uh, discernment. Uh, what, is, what was your discernment uh, of your vocation? How were you able to find God's will? In a, in a word, what was your vocation story? Sure, sure. So I think like many priests and religious, I never thought growing up that I would be here now on a podcast telling my story about how I became a priest. I was born and raised Catholic in Albuquerque, Um, I'm one of three children, but one of 11 grandchildren, and all of us grew up together in Albuquerque. So in some ways, it feels like we're closer to siblings than we are to to cousins. We were in school together. During the summers, we were at our grandparents' house swimming in their pool. I sometimes joke that we were raised by committee instead of as individual (laughs) families, but uh, it was a very communal experience, and the faith was very much a part of that communal experience. So when I looked at the priest, I saw two things. One, I saw an extremely holy person, and I knew that that was not me. Right. And two, I saw this guy that kind of lived alone. It seemed like a lonely life for me. And so, you know, the thing I probably knew the most growing up was that I was certainly not going to become a Catholic priest. But as we know, God has his ways, and uh, sometimes those aren't ours. At the same time, very early on, I uh, landed on astronaut as a career path. That's in, that's impressive, by the way. Like I, I've uh, we preach retreats in Houston, and I sometimes have uh, retreats that are from uh, NASA. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty smart people. That's <laughs> so, great. That's great. So good for you to do that career. Yeah, and and you know every five year old kid at some point wants to be an astronaut, but not every eighteen yeah. year old does. And so as I grew up, as I went through elementary school, middle school, high school, this this childhood dream kind of grew with me and became more and more of a goal. And so that's what brought me to Embry-Riddle. As you mentioned, it's an aeronautical university, so it's very focused in the aerospace industries, uh, very renowned, in fact, in Mm -hmm. the aerospace industries. And uh, so 
you know, I figured that's where I was going and that's what I was going to do. Now, interestingly, all four years of college, I can point to these moments where thoughts of the priesthood came up. Uh, freshman year, actually, this was back in 2005, 2006, and everyone was reading Dan Brown's books, mm. you know, the big controversial books, yes. Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. Famous Da Vinci Code. Yes, indeed. And I remember I was reading Angels and Demons, and in that book, there's a priest who's also a physicist, a Jesuit priest who's also a physicist. And here I was and sort of had this idea of, well, what if? But it was a very fleeting moment because, again, I knew why I was there at Embry-Riddle. I knew what I was going to be doing, and I had my mind made up. I was going to be an astronaut. I was going to have a large family and continue on what I had received. Sophomore year, again, seemingly out of the blue, these thoughts of the priesthood came up once again. What about being a priest? Well, no, I'm going to space, not to the altar. Right. This is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm here at Embry-Riddle, and that's that. Then once again, during my junior year, these thoughts came up at probably the worst time that they could have. Uh, first semester junior year was very difficult academically. It was sort of the make or break semester mm. in the space physics track, right. and it very nearly broke me. Um, it was a very, very difficult semester. And I remember I was studying for my final two exams during that semester. It was about 3 or 4 a.m. I had been up for way too long already, I was trying to get the final notes in my head so I could get them on paper in the exam. And once again, thoughts of the priesthood came up. So now here I was, trying not to fail classes and having this existential crisis of what am I going to be when I grow up? The timing couldn't have been worse. But I got through the final two exams, got home for Christmas break and wondered, am I going back to Embry-Riddle? Am I going to fail out of school? Well, neither of those happened. I did go back to Embry-Riddle. I was fine and uh, continued on and had the best semester of all four years of college right mm -hmm. after that. So That's awesome. To me, this was a confirmation that, yes, this astronaut thing is real and I'm full speed ahead and that's that. So I did my best to pack up this astronaut th or this priesthood thing to the back of my mind, throw it away and say, no more. I've, I've made up my mind. This is it. Right, right. But sometimes it's too too uncomfortable to think I should change everything and then suddenly throw away everything that I've been working for, studying for, all the sacrifices I made to become this that is just a passing thought, a fleeting thought almost, right? Yeah, yeah. But what scared me was the fact that it kept coming up, mm. that year after year, the priesthood entered into my mind again. And I had my reasons why it didn't make sense, you know, especially the family one and the I'm not holy enough one. Right. Uh, priests are holy men and I'm not, so therefore that's not for me. Things began to change, however, between junior and senior year. I stayed in Arizona for the summer and I stayed there doing some, uh, some research in the lab and was also studying for the graduate exam, the physics graduate exam, uh, Pretty difficult exam, took lots of intense studying, but not a lot of my friends stayed around uh, Arizona, stayed around Prescott for that summer. So I had lots of alone time mm. and mm -hmm. lots of time to think. Right. And at the same time that summer, 
One of my close friends, who was a fraternity brother of mine, died in a car accident. Oof. Um, and he had lived a, a really good life, you know, died at 23, but until that point had really chased his dreams and had lived mm -hmm. a, a good and fulfilling life. Um, I was the incoming fraternity president. Chris and his family are Catholic. And so I found myself in this place of ministry, first calling all of the fraternity brothers to inform them of the death of our friend, but then also being there at the funeral, being there for his family, for his friends, for our friends as well. And as difficult as it was to be there, something just felt right about it. It felt almost natural for me to be there in that mode of, of ministry. And up until then, you know, I had helped out with youth ministry or taught confirmation classes, but hadn't really had this deeper experience of, of being in ministry. So that really woke me up. I get back to Arizona after this, and I spent the rest of the summer, as I said, doing a little bit of research and studying for this exam, but had lots of time to think and began asking the bigger questions in life. You know, what is meaning and what is success and fulfillment? And I got to this point where I had to ask myself, honestly, what would happen if I can't become an astronaut? You know, if my health takes a turn for the worse, right, we right, stop right, right. sending people to space or, or something completely out of my control happens that just kind of ends that dream, could I still see myself as successful or happy or fulfilled? And I think kind of naturally from that, once again arose this question, what about the priesthood? Hmm. It was right around that time that I learned about this other way of being a priest of religious life, of, of being a priest, not alone in a parish, but rather in community, in this right. dynamic experience of it that seemed a little bit more true to who I was, given the significance of community growing up and my groups of friends in high school and in college as well, and community always being very much a part of who I was. Right, and that, that you saw with the Dominicans that were in the Newman Center, right? So not quite there yet. Uh, okay, this was okay. still in, in Arizona, still at okay. Embry-Riddle. Um, but going into my senior year, it kind of opened myself up to some other possibility and the priesthood very much on my mind. Uh -huh. But it was senior year, I had work to finish and uh, still was not yet ready to let go of this, this dream of, of astronaut. So the, the year began, I got to work on my classes, took the physics graduate exam. Then October hit. Now this was October of 2008. And I remember in an afternoon in October, watching everything fade away as the stock market crashed. Oof. And it was this moment of uncertainty of what is coming next. All of a sudden, the... Things that we were told, you go to Embry-Riddle, you get a good degree, you'll come out, you'll have a job, everything will be great for you. All of that was just sort of gone in an afternoon right. in October. So my initial thought was, okay, well, maybe this is God's sign to me that he's pulling away my dream. I'll have nothing left. And at least I have this religious life thing to, to lean on. Or so I thought. It was a few months later that I ended up getting into graduate school, got accepted to the University of New Mexico back in Albuquerque in the optics program. And I was more confused than anything. Because again, I thought, okay, well, I'll have no options left. I'll have to become a priest. But 
that's okay because I kind of want to at this point. Hmm. But here I was accepted into grad school. By then I had been talking to a Norbertine priest in Albuquerque. I had made a connection with him and, and we were emailing back and forth. I remember emailing him and saying, I got into grad school at the University of New Mexico, but I'm a little confused. Should I do it? Is this really from God? Is this some sort of test? Should I be entering religious life? And his reply back to me was so good. It was so important. He said, he's, he's from Boston originally, so he's very mm-hmm. blunt and to the point. And he says, you're nowhere near ready for a vocation to religious life. And this gives you great time. It gives you something to do while you prepare yourself to enter. It's a very sound advice from Father Bob. So I graduated, went back to Albuquerque, and got started on plans for graduate school at the University of New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And what I would do is I'd go to campus. This was during the summer, later summer. I'd go to campus and I'd figure out something for classes, maybe location of classrooms or financial aid or, or bookstore, or whatever it might be. And then I'd go to the noon mass on campus at the Newman Center, which at the time was run by the Dominican Friars. And then I'd do something else in the afternoon and go home. So for about two weeks, I had this routine of, of going to mass. And uh, after those two weeks, I finally mustered up the confidence and talked to one of the friars there and let him know that I was sort of discerning a vocation to religious life, but also an incoming PhD student. And so I wasn't really sure, but, but, but I'd be open to it. Now, I was a young guy of discernment age, going to daily mass on campus during the summer. So, of course, the moment I walked in and returned the next day, they had their eye on me mm-hmm. <laughs> and figured that this is exactly what was going on. And I know now, because I live with Father Joachim now, that they were just sitting there waiting for me to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So he invited me to evening prayer and to dinner that night, and that began that relationship. So here I was, a new graduate student, expecting to be there for four to eight years working on a PhD, but kind of open to whatever might come next. It was during that year, though, that I had some more experiences with the Dominicans. I attended a discernment weekend in St. Louis at our House of Studies. I visited the novitiate in Denver, just north of Albuquerque. And the more experiences I had with the Dominicans, the more I just kind of felt at home. Right. And there was this pretty quick transition from... I'm here as a PhD student to maybe I'll leave early with a master's degree to eventually, I think it's time to move now. Hmm. And looking back on it now, it was almost this process of falling in love of what started as a, as an initial attraction became something that I couldn't see myself not doing that. I would always wonder, was I supposed to do this? And so I ended up leaving graduate school after that first year in order to enter Dominican formation. But the story gets more exciting because after I received the application, I had to go and tell my professor. Now he was funding my education. I was working in his lab and I knew that he wasn't going to be real excited about right. the news. Not after, at all. after one year I was, I was bailing on him and, uh, 
you know, at that time, I never drove with the radio off. If I was in the car, there was music playing. But that day was different. Drove there the whole way in silence, kind of rehearsing in my head my, my speech to my professor. I get there, I park the car, and I open the door. I closed it. I said, no, not yet, not yet. Ran through the speech a few more times in my head, tried to get everything down, get in line, opened the door, and I walked in the lab. Now, the lab building was a big square. The labs were on the inside of the square, and the offices were around the perimeter on the outside. Uh And my professor had the big corner office. So I knew that if I walked into the building and turned right, I'd walk right past his office. And this was, was supposed to go in his office, in fact, this day, and inform him of the news. But instead, I went left and went the long way all the way around the building to get to our lab because I was too afraid to run into him. Right. I wasn't yet ready. I worked all day in the lab, and I knew that he was leaving at about 3, so it's about 2.30, and I said, I have to do this now. So I mustered up the confidence, and I walked down to his office, and I let him know that I'd be leaving. I started my spiel that I had rehearsed many times that day. I said... My life is headed in a different direction, and and then he put up his hand. He said, I don't need to hear more. I'm disappointed, but it sounds like you have your mind made up. Goodbye. Wow. That was a short That was really short. I I had so much more to to say. But then, so I I left his office that day, met up with a cousin for a... a, Oh, that was tough. Oh, yeah. I thought there was going to be something else there, but no, I thought that was There's that was a little it. more. There's a little more. Because the next day, well, really that night, his assistant, his secretary, emailed me and asked if I could come in. Okay. Now, she sort of played the good cop and the good cop, bad cop role here. Right. And so I was used to dealing with her because I didn't so much want to deal with, with the professor. Right, right, right. On this day, so she calls me in. She sits me down and she said, I just want to inform you what's going on here. She said... You have a paid research position in the lab. You're working under the head of the lab. You have a project through Sandia Labs, which means that you have job security for the rest of your life, and you're doing exactly what you've dreamt of doing your entire life. Said, what could you possibly be leaving for? So I got to tell her the whole story. Great. I got to share with her my spiel. And she was so good. She just smiled and she said, it sounds like you're answering to a higher power than us. Wow. God bless you. I wish you luck. And that was that. Much better. Yes. <laughs> yes. Much more positive. Oh, yeah. But what's interesting about that whole situation is that you know, I mentioned that when the, when the economic recession happened, I thought that God was going to close every door and right. leave me with one option and one option only. And I would walk through and be in religious life. Mm-hmm. But the exact opposite is what happened in reality. God gave me everything I had ever wanted when it comes to career path, when it came to this ambition of going to space. He opened every door for me, in fact, but also showed me this other option. Right. And it was up to me to choose. But I think often when we think of discernment, when we think of vocation, we think that you know, God is just going to force us into something. Right. Exactly. But it's so much more meaningful and so much more significant that he respects our freedom and invites us, encourages us, but leaves the decision up to us to be made. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. 
Right, because sometimes um, many young people expect God to show them clearly what he wants them to do so that they don't have any other option. And many times God gives options, and one of them is to follow him, which you want to do out of love. Right, so you, you're right. not saying yes because you have no other option. You're saying yes because you want to follow God freely and with a joyful heart. Exactly, exactly. And joy is certainly going to be part of that. You know, and God doesn't force us into horrendous vocations or vocations that don't fit who we are. But right. that joy is you know, being able to, to embrace freely in love and enjoy a vocation is, is exactly it. Right. There may be a sacrifice, though. Right? Oh, yes. You had to give oh, up yes. your, your desire to go to space. Yeah. You, you may get, get there someday. You never know. Yeah. If we need a, a space chapel, right, a chapel right or there. something. But at the same time, you, those sacrifices that you do are now real and are challenges. You do knowing that you're following a greater love, a greater uh, being, a God who gave his life for you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how did you become, or what moment would you say, was uh, the one that uh, helped you become clearly aware of God's will for you. That this is, it's not just a wandering thought, it is, it is God's will showed to me. You know, it's, it's hard to point to one single moment. It was more this, this long process, or I guess it wasn't real long, but it was a process of, of essentially falling in love and coming to realize that you know, as I said, this is something that I, I have to at least try. Right. That I'll wonder for the rest of my life, was I supposed to have done so? Um, and so you know, one of the blessings of, of formation for religious life or for diocesan priesthood is that it is this lengthy process that uh, unlike marriage, where once a ring is on a finger, that's, that's it for life. We have this, this unfolding process, you know, beginning with a novitiate or a spirituality year and then moving on to temporary vows, and then finally after five or six years, sometimes even longer than that, making it forever until death. Right. And so off the bat, I didn't have to be absolutely certain that this was it for life, but I had seen enough to know that I had to at least give it a shot. And then the more that I grew into this vocation, the more I realized that this exactly was, was where God wanted me. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's great. Uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing all that. It's uh, really great to see how God still works, right, in the world. God exists, mm-hmm. and he talks to people, and he speaks in different ways, but he speaks to us, right? So what tips would you give a young man or a young woman who are trying to find God's will regarding this vocation, right, marriage or consecrated life, for their own life? What Just a two, two or three tips that you would give uh, young people for their discernment. Sure. So as a vocations director now, I feel like this is my, this is my spiel. This is what I, right. I say often, but I have three bits of advice. The first one is that discernment has to include both prayer and experience. That we can't just discern by sitting in a chapel praying, but we have to encounter the vocation that we're expecting to, to enter, the vocation that we're discerning. So if you're discerning right. religious life, you have to get to know the orders that you're, that you're considering entering. You have to put yourself in their context in some smaller way, which usually means visiting them, talking to them, etc. Right. So that you have something to go back into prayer with. So from prayer into experience and back into prayer. The second one is we often focus on where am I going? Who am I going to be? But we forget about today. So 
asking the question, am I today who God is calling me to be today? Because God speaks again through our experiences and through who we already are. We talk about religious formation, not religious transformation. So you're not going to become something that you're not already, but rather grace is going to perfect what's already there in you. Mm -hmm. So am I today who God is calling me to be today? Then the third bit of advice is that discernment always leads to a decision. That discernment isn't supposed to be something that goes on forever. Right. So don't be afraid when you know that this is for you. When you have enough information that says this is something you have to try, don't be afraid to move. Walk forward courageously with God and let him continue to guide you through that process. Right. That third thing is more, more or less what I say sometimes about being certain is not an, uh, an absolute certainty. So it's not an absolute metaphysical certainty. Right. It's like a moral certainty. So there's, there's a lot of signs that point in one direction that show me that this seems to be most, most surely the will of God and what I w- I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But then I have to make the, the, the decision. Yes, I, have to ma- yes. I have to make a decision because then throughout my life, I'll have to go back to that decision and remind myself, I made that decision and I have to stick to it, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's the will of God, I, I want to commit to Christ. So it's not enough to know that's the path. I have to pick it. I have yes. to choose it. I yes. have to walk yes. through it. And continue to every day. And I think this is true in, in any vocation that, uh, you know, situations change, our lives change. We continue to grow in advance. And every day I wake up and remind myself that I've vowed until death to be a Dominican. And I intend right. until death to be a Dominican. But what that means today is very different from what it meant on the day of my first profession Absolutely. and my solemn profession, too. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Father, for sharing all these thoughts and this wisdom with us. Yeah, and thank, thank you. you. Thank you for being a priest. <laughs> and you as well. And thank you for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so thank you, everyone, who's listening for uh, spending our time with us. Um, we hope to see you next uh, episode. We're going to have Father uh, Samuel again g- giving us some tips about the priesthood and what the priesthood is about. And so thank you again. Uh, make sure you follow us on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and if you can rate us on all those platforms. And may God bless you and we'll see you next time. <laughs>